0: Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato, and this is Round 12, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen took his first F1 pole in Budapest, but it was Lewis Hamilton, starting from third on the grid, who took the season's last victory before the mid-season break. But it wasn't a straightforward win. Mercedes needed some clever strategy to get him past the Dutchman, culminating in a thrilling last stint chase for the lead. To wrap up the fourth exciting Racing race in succession. It's a pleasure to be joined by Jack of all trades and journalist for racer.com, Chris Midland. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you, mate? Doing absolutely wonderfully, out in the sunshine in Budapest after well the final race before the mid-season break championship picture maybe not what people had hoped after qualifying but hey there was only so much hope anyway.
1: Yeah exactly I wrote a piece on the Wednesday before the race because there was a bit of hope then and I thought <laughs> it's probably going to disappear by the end of the weekend so I'm going to get it in now uh, and like you say by the end of Saturday I thought I should have should have waited this this could have been good but no I timed it well.
0: This race is one we've we've had the opportunity to talk about a couple of times over the last couple of seasons that was lacking practice, and people maybe say, well, practice has rained out, what does it matter, except if you've paid to turn up, if you're Polish, as tends to be the case at the Hungarian Grand Prix, paid to turn up and watch Robert on Friday. But it tends to create good racing, and while maybe this wasn't the kind of classic we saw in Germany, we still saw some of that unpredictability in this race because of that.
1: Yeah, and it's also just the way you go into the race, and instead of standing on the grid and everyone saying, well, this is definitely going to be a one-stop, or this is definitely going to be a two, and -and so-and-so is definitely going to win if this happens, you had that unknown of if Max Verstappen gets away in the lead can he hold on or Will the tyre behave well? Who's going to look after it best? Who's going to try something different? There were so many questions that still remained because you had that lack of Friday data that I just think it's what sport should be. You watch any other sport and you tend to tune in because you don't know how it's going to pan out. And Mm -hmm. Formula 1 too often you have a good idea at least and we had less of an idea. So yeah, I think it's a good thing.
0: Considering this sport relies so much on data, how difficult is it for teams going into Sunday? I mean, realistically, to, to set the picture we had Friday practice one, which was sort of interrupted a little bit by rain, then virtually nothing in FP2, and then they were only left with Saturday morning practice, which typically you can't do really long-run management or anything like, kind of like that, and then suddenly we're in qualifying and parked for May. How much is this really racing by the seat of your pants?
1: Well, I think first we need to thank Ralph Oshung in the F2 race for even then shortening <laughs> FP3, because yes. his engine blew up uh, on Saturday morning, and uh, he's had a tough season. That was the best thing he's done, I think, because <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, He's been struggling for budget. I'm being nice to him. But um, genuinely, it was something that then meant even less time to get data for the teams. And I was sat there thinking, great. Because the teams will say, oh, it's, yeah, it's a real problem. But it's a problem in the sense that they don't have an easy ride of it. It doesn't hurt the show. It doesn't hurt the racing. If anything, it improves it. So I think the, the problem only comes from the fact that strategists have to earn their money a little bit more. But that's how it should be.
0: It's one of the few sports where, I mean, every sport people have practice, of course, you, you practice and so forth. We don't have too much in-season testing, as I suppose uh, uh, the inverse point. But should Formula One really be considering reducing practice, given we do see this at least once a year where we get a, an interesting race because there's a lack of that kind of expected practice?
1: I think definitely. I, I'm a fan of, I don't see why we have to have all day of Friday mm-hmm. and then Saturday morning. I'd be one practice session on Friday one short one Saturday morning to check the cards. You look at most other series, you don't get that much. I think European Formula 3 get a decent bit of practice, but not a huge amount. And then they have three qualifying sessions, or at least two. Um, as it used to be. Um, rest in peace, European Formula 3. <laughs> but um, but now, it, you look at even Formula 2 preparing drivers, they do a one 45-minute yeah. practice session, I think, and that's it, straight into qualifying. And we tend to see some great racing in that, and that's on the undercard to Formula 1, so we are seeing, clearly, you can go racing with very little practice and it can make for exciting racing so I think Formula 1 overplays it a bit Um, and the teams they don't like change, they always complain "Oh, we can't do this, we can't do that but realistically if you just said to them, right we're taking away FP1 at every race for the rest of the season same for everybody, they'll deal with it so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the camp of let's have less practice.
0: The same for everybody, that great four-wheeler 1 phrase. <laughs> yeah, that's my get-out
1: clause to every point <laughs> I make.
0: <laughs> Normally the wrong ones. One thing they could rely on, more or less, although, as it turned out, the winning strategy did not follow this formula for reasons, which we will get to, <laughs> is that one stop is usually the default here just because of the nature of this circuit. So, very minimum, we had that idea. And as we saw in qualifying, the top six drivers from the top three teams all used the medium tyre to, to set their starting tyre precisely because of this, because it gave them that, flexibility to try and run that although this circuit can sometimes produce good racing despite this
1: yeah I think it's a little bit unfair the the rep we give the hungara ring sometimes I I spoke to Simon Pagin after the race and he said this circuit's got a good layout for racing Hmm. because he said the straight's long enough that if you can stay close in the final corner that's where you've got to set it up but then you can get a slipstream you might not get the move done admittedly DRS is needed Uh but you get close enough you might not get the move done into turn one but then with DRS out of there too you've got the potential to go side by side through one side by side through two and you only have to sort it out between yourselves at turn three and he said Mm -hmm. it's a great little bit of layout for racing so I think we probably a bit unfair sometimes and as as we saw in this race if you can get a bit of a tire off that creates even more so there were, there were drivers that were on similar strategies that were still doing overtaking uh and there, there were some that obviously had to do something different to find a way past but yeah i think it was um it was one of those where maybe the lack of data did open up uh, teams thinking they could do something on track could actually mm-hmm. make a move on track uh, whereas in the past maybe they thought right it's all down to track position let's just hold it um, and yeah this year I think we just saw something a little bit different because the teams had that that variable and that unknown
0: despite the top six drivers all running on the same tyre they did not line up two by two as perhaps we could have expected I, they almost did though Mercedes yes Ferrari yes not so much Red Bull Racing Max Verstappen scored his first career pole which I actually can't believe we're saying it almost seem, seems ridiculous
1: nearly 100 races yeah it, it, I, that was actually the question I put to him straight after qualifying. I was like, this is weird to say to <laughs> this is your first pole position. Multiple race winner. Mm-hmm. So exciting to watch. Clearly so quick over one lap. It was crazy that he'd not had one before.
0: But he wasn't lined up alongside with Pierre Gasly, who qualified only sixth. And while well, it's still top six, still on that same strategy, the fact that the Ferraris were quite far back did emphasize that he underperformed in qualifying. But more importantly, considering the race prospects, Mercedes 2 and 3 has an enormous strategic advantage before the race, of course, compared to one driver ahead. I mean, how much does that weigh on a lead like Max with considering there was no clear indication that Red Bull would be fast enough to hold them back in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think Max would have been, he put a brave face on it afterwards, but he will have been sat there a little bit annoyed that he didn't have a rear gunner. Um, Mercedes will have been delighted. The two drivers at Mercedes are the problem. They, they will have sat there and as the start of the race showed, but they'll have sat there after Saturday going, this is really good for us if I'm the lead car on the first lap because you were realistically then going to be using car number two as mm-hmm. the one to do something different and try and, and mix it up. So, um, yeah, Max will definitely have been uh, a bit frustrated by that. And it's, as you say, with Pierre and the, the way things have been going, he you thought up to Q2, you know, he didn't look particularly competitive, but to get through into mm-hmm. Q3 on the medium tyre, you thought, good, he's opened himself up to be right there in the mix on Sunday and to be part of this. And then when it came down to just pulling out a lap on the softs, he didn't do it that was hugely frustrating because as you said the gap was huge huge between him and Max and first and sixth is a long way apart it's not like he'd put himself sort of fourth and okay he had two Mercedes but he had a chance at the start of doing something he was basically out of touch where he was so Um, Yeah, Max would have been annoyed, Red Bull more so And uh, certainly the way the rest of the weekend panned out That frustration I think only grew by the end of Sunday night
0: We talked about uh, that potential dynamic uh, for the first stint of this race Between those two drivers, eliminated as a proposition almost immediately Very small crashes for Valtteri Bottas, enough to damage the front wing They didn't pit him immediately though They didn't seem sure whether or not it was going to be worth stopping him for a new front wing Ultimately they did after five laps Regardless of when he was going to stop, it dropped him right down to the back and that pretty much eliminated his race almost for points at one point. Although he did make it back into there to score a couple, but then this became a, a straight fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And while after qualifying perhaps we thought Mercedes and the Red Bull racing car was evenly matched, albeit without knowing long run simulations, sort of became clear over this first thing that that wasn't the case, and actually Mercedes had a bit of an upper hand here.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was the fact that Lewis could follow so closely and drivers always talk about you know it's difficult to follow not just for the aerodynamic influence but things start to overheat if you're in the wake of another car and and that was the problem Lewis did have with his his brakes he was struggling slightly with but the fact he could just cruise up to the back of max whenever he wanted to Mm -hmm. showed that they had a a clearly quicker much quicker car Um, and I don't think that should be a huge surprise if we look at the pace they've shown at some of the still recent races when it's been settled down and Mm -hmm. okay Austria they were called out with overheating so we can understand why you didn't see pace from there but Silverstone the race pace was very impressive and as much as Max probably should have finished third and that would have been a good drive and Max says he would have been closer to Mercedes he wouldn't have been able to challenge Lewis by any stretch this time what was great to see was for a lot of that race we saw both cars going at it like pushing mm. flat out really getting close to their limit of their potential uh, certainly in the latter stint from Lewis but even then I think Max had sort of realized that his only way of winning the race was going to be by pushing rather than waiting and trying to fight him off so yeah it was it was one of those where it was quite clear early on that Mercedes had the upper hand and that, that's why I'd say that Red Bull did a really good job to keep Max in the lead after the first round mm. of pit stops I think that's where most people thought the race had been won.
0: Yeah, considering most people thought, including Mercedes, up to a certain point that this was a one-stop race, when Hamilton wasn't ahead after that first stop, it seemed like that was going to be it, even though we were treated to a, maybe five or six laps of quite close racing immediately afterwards. Verstappen stopped on lap 25 off his mediums, complaining that they were already running out of grip, and already we got the radio message from Hamilton saying he was happy to extend, he did so for six laps. It was almost surprising, though, how big... And, of course, the car did play a huge part in, in the ability for him to fight immediately afterwards. But how big a a pace advantage that six-lap fresher tyres gave him in the immediate aftermath. I think he came out almost six seconds uh, behind after that pit stop. And I turned down to write a note on my computer, all of a sudden he was on his gearbox. The gap closed so fast.
1: Yeah, I was stood outside in the TV pen to uh, do any interviews with anyone who retired, and thankfully no one did for ages. (laughs) I stood stood and cooked. Um, But uh, watching from there, you could see the drivers coming through the penultimate corner, and you Mm -hmm. could just see the gap closing. And when Lewis had just come out, as you say, it was it was about six seconds. Then crossed the line uh, at the end of his outlap at five point something, mm-hmm. and then as he came through I hadn't, I hadn't really paid attention to the sector times as he came through the penultimate corner you could see that that gap was halved mm. in, instantly you thought that looks like it was in the first <laughs> day across the line it was I don't know 2.6 or something mm. and within two sectors he was on him mm-hmm. and I think that no, was partly traffic Max did have some, some traffic on those laps but I think Lewis had become aware that he had such a quicker car And the fact that he'd managed to extend And the tyre he'd gone on to and He didn't have any concerns about going to the end On on that tyre in the fight with Max Um, And part of the aspect we've got to look at Is the lack of any pressure behind Mm -hmm. For either of them So even at that early stage It was just a two horse race And they were only looking at each other So it's not like Lewis had to think I better manage my tyres in case they drop off Mm -hmm. He was already second on the road If he'd have pushed too hard run out of tyres and slip back from Max he was never in danger from anyone else so I think that gave him that freedom to push so hard and and try and spook Verstappen or at least make Red Bull very aware that Mercedes had this pace because maybe then Red Bull would have done something silly or Max would have made a mistake so um, yeah it was a really impressive pace but it showed the challenge Red Bull had on their hands at that point
0: we sometimes, and I think somewhat exaggeratedly, describe the Hungara Ring as the monaco of... I don't even know what the monaco of. I can't say of Europe. Monaco of the East? Uh, of East of Europe. Of Hungary, I guess. Precisely because the circuit is difficult to pass on. It was an interesting reversal of roles in this first half of the race where... Hamilton not only had the quicker car but the quicker tyre and uh, Verstappen was forced to defend in the slower car, much like was the, the reverse case in Monaco. But it did show how difficult passing is here. He had a huge pace advantage and at no point was actually... Well, he got very close, but at no point was actually able to sell that move.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's... um the One of the guys that runs Formula 1 social media, a guy called Charlie Eustace, does some uh, alternate stats for each Grand Prix. <laughs> and he says um, the Hungaroring is known as Monaco without barriers, I think is oh, the okay, term he that's used. Okay, yeah. we can
0: go with that. And he
1: said, uh, but this is factually incorrect because the Hungaroring does have <laughs> barriers, which it, which <laughs> which it does. Which also true. Um, yeah. They're a little bit further from the track, but they're yeah. still there, like any race track. Um, but it, it is clearly difficult to overtake, but it's not the same level as yeah. Monaco, is it? It's not even close in that sense. It's just a bit of a lazy way we used to describe it. <laughs> it's just but, you um, say that
0: there's not a lot of overtaking. Yeah. You could just say that. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, if we, if we scaled them, it's closer to Monaco than it is to yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> um, but what, what was uh, good to see was, as you say, there were times that we saw wheel-to-wheel action. Um, Lewis had that time, I think, about three or four laps after the stops mm-hmm. when he got close and Ricardo was ahead of both. And Max got DRS from Ricardo, but um, I think Daniel felt he got in the way somehow. And, and Lewis, mm-hmm. with DRS himself and a slipstream, and probably with a power unit, turned up to the Max. Uh, had to go into turn one, m- which Max defended. But then, yeah, they, they went side by side for a while. And um, that was good to see. Again, talking about what Pagano said, mm-hmm. they went side by side and were swapping over and under turns one, two, and even turn three. And, and that's where Lewis had the run up to turn four and went around the outside. And I think now he's, he was looking at it back after the race, and he feels he could have could have thrown it in there he thinks he's actually Mm -hmm. just ahead of max and and max did leave him enough room did go across the inside curb far enough thinking if lewis turns in here he'll get me um but also there that shows the characteristic of the track being quite narrow quite tight there's not a lot of clean runoff to go and use either Mm -hmm. um you don't want to risk any contact so you've you've got such fine margins if you're going to try and make a move and uh yeah i think it as we saw yesterday it it can make for some really good racing and Mm -hmm. i don't think we're always as kind as we should be to that circuit because yeah that that was that was a good one and that was between two different cars two guys pushing them really hard and they were able to go wheel to wheel at times they were able to go strategically different at times and um it made for a race that we didn't know who was going to win it until the final five laps
0: now, by lap 40, the, the challenge had waned. Lewis was complaining of uh, overheating brakes due to, to wear in that heat, as we mentioned. And Mercedes started considering what they were going to do to try and get him past, because the pace was so much greater than the Red Bull racing car. It seemed, of course, like an injustice to them that they could not be able to win the race. And hey, that's what racing's for. Uh, and by lap 46, actually, they'd made the decision, if not a little bit earlier, because they stopped Valtteri, who was now running somewhere in the middle of the grid, Uh, for a second stop onto mediums foreshadowing and I do like this idea that it was sort of foreshadowing that Hamilton was going to stop because at this point, and Christian Horner said it after the race there was not really anything they could do to respond or even preempt a second stop from Mercedes, Christian said of course it was the straightforward thing to do as we said the gap behind Hamilton and Max was so large that there was zero risk to this stop he was either going to finish second or first it's a pretty good 50-50 situation. Uh, and he made that second stop. One of the few times, I guess we could say, that someone has won in Hungary by doing the alternative strategy being two stops.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it's a strange way it played out in that sense. And that shows that you, that you can overtake if you can create a bit of an offset. But this all came down to, uh, as we, I think we've touched upon, the lack of a second car for either team mm-hmm. um, and the lack of pace from Ferrari. You just had such a massive window of, of space to play with that... Mercedes just had freedom it was, it was literally a one-on-one race You might as well have had just the two cars on the track mm-hmm. um, Traffic wasn't being a huge issue uh, Like Max complained a few times Or I think Christian more than anyone Complained <laughs> a bit about, about traffic Because um, Daniel did uh, Ricardo did come up to Max in the TV pen afterwards And, and uh, make a sincere apology to him mm-hmm. Which I believe was about the time That, Ma- that Lewis almost got him uh, Early in the second stint And Max like was laughing it off And <laughs> was like don't worry about it And, and Daniel looked really like, almost upset mm-hmm. That he'd potentially influenced the race um, and I think Max was just like well it's it is a tight track so it's mm-hmm. not easy to overtake so yeah once once Mercedes made that call it was the amount of people that reacted at the time being surprised and and then saying oh this this might not pay off but as you say it it was always going to pay off in the sense that they were going to be no worse off it mm-hmm. was it was a no-lose situation unless they had a shocking pit stop at a la Germany <laughs> um, then it was always going to be second at least so uh, I think they they called it perfectly and, and also the timing of it because you needed to give Lewis enough time, you needed to put enough pressure on Max, you needed to make Red Bull think do we respond as well because uh, they, they, they made the right call at the right time so that when Red Bull had half a lap to wonder and Max to say you know do we respond or we should respond uh, and Red Bull could just watch it and think no we've, it's kind of a checkmate move here, we've, mm-hmm. we've only got one card to play so um, that's exactly what strategy should be I think that teams should be looking at each other and I think it was direct strategy team on team car Mm -hmm. on car which is sometimes either we can't pick it out because it's in a messier race or teams aren't able to do it because there's so many other factors they have to take into account Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah that was was quite cool to see and, and clearly it paid off
0: Ironic that we started this race talking about the advantage Mercedes would have by having two cars against Max Verstappen's one. In the end, the, the real disadvantage, which of course we were talking about at the start, but really what decided it was the fact that Red Bull Racing did not have a second car to defend against. We talked about the gap Hamilton could stop into. It meant that he didn't fall behind, for example, Pierre Gasly, uh, and it meant that Pierre Gasly couldn't even perhaps cover him off. A whole host of different theories here as to how maybe Red Bull could have won with the slower car had it had two cars. Christian Horner was fairly blunt about the fact, not only that this perhaps could have won in the race, but the, the point score is quite poor for Red Bull Racing. How much, given that we're now in this middle of the season, we talk about driver movements at this point, we've got three weeks to really reflect on the result of this race in particular. How painful was this a race for Pierre Gasly?
1: Really painful. Um, I think he'd shown flashes at times recently of like he was getting on top of things. And each time he did it, then something seemed to set him back. And, and this weekend he was set back much earlier, I think it was about F P three, he suddenly mm-hmm. said, Not too happy here. Um car's not to my liking and admittedly, you know, you see drivers struggle, but to struggle so consistently starts to be a real concern. That you know, that all Red Bull wanna see is is signs of life that, that he's going in the right direction. And the problem is each time he seems to go in the right direction then he then he takes a step backwards. And yeah, the gap's forty four points now between Red Bull and Ferrari. And realistically you look at the recent form and, and mm-hmm. the potential results Red Bull should be second. There's no, there's no doubting it. There's a few stats that were pulled out um, yesterday after or last night after the race about how um, if you took away, I think, all of Verstappen's top three finishes. Yes. Um, okay, you don't change any other order, but you just remove the points that Verstappen got from those. He'd still outscore Gasly this season. Mm-hmm. And if Verstappen started started his season in Austria, if that was his first race of the season, he'd already be ahead of Gasly in the points mm-hmm. from from the last four races. So the discrepancy is huge and uh, yeah, Gavsley will not be sitting comfortably I think you're right Like Horner was clearly frustrated partly because of the championship position but also just a bit of patience is starting to wane and he instead of saying we fully support Pierre which he did still say yep. after the race he also made the point he needs to improve he mm. needs to be doing better we, I think he said we desperately need the second car yep. scoring points and that's a pretty strong word to use to your driver and, and as you say he's not going to get the opportunity to change those remarks for for four weeks really. So yeah, yeah, that's going to linger.
0: Now to wrap up this fight for the lead, it became essentially a formality at the end, but for a while it didn't look like Hamilton was going to catch Verstappen. Traffic played a little part of this and briefly Verstappen was able to keep up with Hamilton in terms of the pace. And this is sort of where those laps immediately after the first stops started to come into play, because sort of like Silverstone, where Hamilton pushed Bottas quite early to use up his tyres, Verstappen's tyres, the best of them, had been used up in that duel and then used up again as he tried to keep up the pace. In the last maybe 10 laps of this chase, the pace difference was enormous, as Verstappen did complain that his tyres were dead. Uh, I thought what was really interesting, though, was speaking to Toto Wolff after the race, that he said that even when they saw that the gap was sort of stable at the start, they kind of lied to Lewis and said that it was coming down quite quickly as a motivational technique. And I've often thought, and I wonder if other people do, when you hear team radio and what the engineers are saying, does not actually tally with the times you're seeing how much of that is a psychological boost? And I guess we kind of got admission of that here.
1: Yeah, I always thought it was that they were out of sync and that you were mm-hmm. thinking, oh, that's from a couple of laps ago or, yeah. or that they were expecting something different. And then you find out, no, they were just lying <laughs> to their driver. It was quite interesting because Toto said that it was Anthony Hamilton, his father, yeah. that said to him, you just have to tell him you can do it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, just give him that, that little boost, that little motivation, and, and he'll deliver. And he certainly did. But you're right. I think Red Bull and, and Max took the approach of we need to break this charge early. Mm-hmm. So we match it early. We, we, we peg the gap. We make Lewis take too much more at the tyres or mm-hmm. think he has to ever drive or think it's not possible and maybe not quite go for it. Uh, I think Red Bull were probably aware of Hamilton's psychological state in these situations. Mm-hmm. And in much the same way Mercedes knew they had to tell him, it's on, don't mm-hmm. give this up. Red Bull were thinking, can we try and show him that it's not on, so he gives it up, and um, and we have seen him do that in the past when things aren't quite going his way. He just mm-hmm. seems to get in a little bit of a negative mindset. So um, yeah, I think Max. They think they turned the Honda up, went for a, a quick one. I think they were both in the 19s, one minute 19s mm-hmm. at one stage where Lewis was like, "This isn't going to happen if he's doing it." I think, I think was it Max said the one Lewis got told it, and yep. he was like, "Oh 19 He's like, "How am I going to close <laughs> this?" Um, and as you say, that took too much out of Vishalpens' tyres, but it was it was their attempt at saying, you know, don't even try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's easier with hindsight to look back and now see, oh, well, that was clear that that was the last roll of the dice for Red Bull. I thought Max then backed off. In those final 10 laps, mm-hmm. I thought Max had gone right. He's going to make the catch. I've made it harder. I, I've given him a smaller window of only a few laps to get to me, but he's going to make the catch, so I now need to conserve to have something to fight with. And, yeah, as it proved, once Lewis got there, he had nothing left at all.
0: Yeah, it was a pit stop immediately after the pass with only... It was four laps to go when the pass was made. Didn't even need to get to the last lap, as it seemed. And uh, max stop for soft tyres. Set the fastest lap of the race, so a consolation point. But it did show how bad those tyres had become towards the end of that... Uh, stint. Uh, and that's how the, the battle for the lead panned out. Uh, it was an interesting strategy dichotomy, but we look a little bit further down, uh, much further down as it turned out, a minute down as it turned out, the last cars not to be lapped, uh, Vettel and Leclerc had what can only be described as a very private battle for the podium. It seemed like Charles had this uh, lockdown from early in the race, but they were allowed to split their strategies, which I thought was well, fairly uh, sporting, I guess, of Ferrari, but on the other hand, what else were they going to do for the whole afternoon? Uh, and it did give them an opportunity to fight towards the end of the race.
1: Yeah, that we kind of missed that one coming and then Mm. suddenly it happened even later than max and lewis happened but um that that was good of ferrari but as you said they had absolutely no pace we talk about the fact that after the first lap only one car was available to each mercedes and red bull Mm -hmm. in that fight ferrari had both cars available to it (laughs) just couldn't stay in touch (laughs) even close Mm -hmm. um and it was kind of painful to watch how quickly they went backwards but um it was a strange race in a sense as well we talk about the ring and it being tight and not a lot of space tough for racing. You normally get an instant or two. You get someone yeah. trying to pass that's not going to come yeah. off or just in the heat, a failure, something, but a safety car would crop up and I think that was part of the thinking with Vettel's strategy yeah. was, let's run long because we're so out of this race at the front, we've got to do something wild and hope we get lucky to suddenly come into the yeah. into the picture, but even by then, with Seb running long, he, he never led. It, yeah. you know, Max made his stop and came out a comfortable second and then Lewis, as you say, extended for the extra six laps. So Ferrari would never in that window to challenge the top two um it was quite impressive i think from vettel to to go that much longer i think he did 12, 12 laps longer on his starting mm-hmm. mediums um than the cloak did and then obviously Shah went onto the hards uh, and said thought we'll give it a go we'll roll the dice we'll go for the softs and see if they can hold on and and something we'd seen in the formula two race actually on saturday morning which mm-hmm. i don't know if ferrari would have looked at vettel does keep an eye on these things um was the alternate strategy there if you went on the hard tire first and um pit for the softer tyre later uh paid off better than expected because the track mm-hmm. was gripping up we'd had the rain on friday so we were we were lower on rubber this weekend than normal and the track was just clearly improving more than expected so i think that actually benefited Vettel that the track joined the the sunday as well it was only getting better and better um it hadn't really plateaued yet so then by the time he came in he had the best grip um probably better grip than anyone had expected and with the mm-hmm. lack of friday running they never knew what that was going to be. Uh, and it meant that his tires held on, and, and when we got that scrap right at the end.
0: Behind them, though, was neither Bottas nor Gasly. It was Carlos Sainz, as I think he's being called now Sunday Sainz, because he does very well on Sundays. <laughs> it's self-explanatory, really.
1: Who's coined this uh, this nickname for him?
0: I'm actually not completely sure. Because
1: Nate Saunders did tweet it out know, and he wanted yeah. people to start saying it and I'm just not going to give him that satisfaction.
0: Yes, no. Well, uh, you've mentioned him now though. So I know. Well, we go look. But did very well on a, a fairly conventional strategy starting on the soft tyre and ending on the hards. But I think his performance up there, I mean, he had a great first lap first of all, he jumped Lando Norris, his teammate, to be in that position but First of all, McLaren's really cemented their place as the fastest midfield car. But also, there was better execution for McLaren here because they were under attack from Pierre Gasly and Red Bull Racing and potentially Valtteri Bottas towards the end of the race, but really kept it clean, at least for this car.
1: I was going to say, it's funny you say better execution. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed with their execution all year, to be fair. Uh, I think McLaren have raced as well as pretty much any team, mm-hmm. maybe bar Mercedes on the whole. Um, like the way Mercedes started the season was incredible, just couldn't put a foot wrong, all those one twos. But uh, McLaren were really impressive at getting the most or even more mm-hmm. out of a car. Uh, I think the amount of times you must have looked back at strategic calls or just where a car started, what its pace was, and where it finished. McLaren maximising every opportunity or, or almost everyone and as you say this was the case on one one car this weekend, I think part of it comes down to you know, Science is driving really really well because mm-hmm. he seems very comfortable with that car he said himself that he settled in and felt more comfortable with the McLaren more quickly than he did at the Renault mm-hmm. took him a, took him a while last year he said to, to get comfortable and he said almost instantly with McLaren he, he felt he was really comfortable in the car so he says that's not an excuse for his poor start with the first mm-hmm. three races but it also explains why he's been able to get the most out of it recently. And what was good was obviously McLaren starting on the soft were potentially going to be a threat from cars just outside the top ten who could start on the medium or hard yeah. and run longer. And if you, if track position is king, but they looked after the tyres very well and were able to go plenty long enough uh, in the first stint. Uh, Science was able to run to lap twenty nine before he made his stop. Um, but also, yeah, the pace was still good as well. And um, the one that surprised me in that battle was Kimi Räikkönen to have the, the set, that sort of pace. Because he mm-hmm. stuck with them in the first stint when um, you had Sainz, Norris, Räikkönen, Gasly all in a row. And the way that had them flowed, Sainz seemed to control the pace. Norris just followed. Mm-hmm. You know, Sainz literally seemed to be setting the pace for those four cars. Uh, and Kimi had no problem staying in touch. If anything, Gasly looked like he was struggling at the back of that queue more than anything, um, on, on the medium, obviously, but just because he was in dirty air. So, uh, yeah, it was really impressive that the pace McLaren showed, especially bouncing back from what looked a bit of a tricky Germany yeah. within a week to suddenly be so much more competitive compared to the rest of the midfield was, was good. And that's one of the things that does me pointing out. As much as they executed well, they had the fourth quickest car. That was, that yeah. was clear.
0: And also shows the advantages they are increasingly gaining because they're in that position of running a fa- essentially in clean air. We talk about, mm. of course, they're not running in the lead, but at this point in Formula 1, it's essentially like being in the lead when the top however many cars they're behind are accelerating into the distance. Yeah. Uh, this battle, though, could have been with Norris. His race was undone by a, a bit of a slow first stop. It was about five seconds, which is fairly slow for Formula 1. Yeah. Well, they were showing replays of old Hungarian Grand Prix at this race, and you occasionally look at pit stops that were quite quick, and they 10 seconds. You're like, well, oh, that's how that Yeah, where, where there's
1: refuelling and things, yeah. and, and just the calmness that they're changing tyres because mm. they've got so long to do it. And yeah. now, now you blink and you miss it. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it?
0: So that undid Norris's race, but the battle with the, how Gasly recovered, because he had quite a poor start to drop to nine. His recovery was down to a little bit of strategy, a little bit of misfortune, partly because of Norris, partly because of Valtteri Bottas's first stop. Did undercut Kimi Raikkonen though, there was the one strategic move he made. Both had, rel- well actually I should say, Gasly had the relatively conventional strategy, starting on medium, swapping to hard, but Raikkonen, as you said, far from the first time this season seeming to get so much more endurance out of whatever ties he's on. He went from soft to medium. I think the only driver in the entire field who, who went that way uh managed to get a great deal out of it was it and actually didn't finish too far behind Gasly I think I'm right in saying uh
1: no not at all he was he was well in that mix and he he it's the way he'd shown such good pace on the soft because I, I felt that he didn't have the car to match the McLaren mm-hmm. so I thought he must have been taking more out the tire in the first part of the race to stay in that mix especially with Gasly behind him at that stage and trying to hold him off and then it, he just looked comfortable and he extended and like you say yeah he was the only one to do soft medium I know Roman Grosjean afterwards said that was the best strategy today. He mm-hmm. didn't pick Kimi's, but he said <laughs> from the way his race panned out and the way Verstappen's race panned mm-hmm. out, he said once the red bull went on the hard, you could see it wasn't as competitive as well, mm-hmm. which was true. Um, and yeah, Kimi and, and Alfa Romeo seemed to nail it. And as, as you say, Räikkönen just got this knack for it. I think the car's probably been designed to be a little bit kinder on its tyres. Uh, strategically, mm-hmm. Alfa Romeo and as was Sauber tended to be a team that would would love a long one stop and suddenly yep. to appear miles out of position but up, up the front and try and hold on um, and yeah in Reikland with that experience he just manages to execute really really well and I, I was surprised a bit by the Gasly one I think that shows his his lack of pace was mm-hmm. because he was on the medium he, he thought he should have just been sitting behind the McLarens and Kimmy waiting for them to pit so that once he got clear yeah. air he could use the red bull pace and jump them all. that realistically that should how it should have been uh, because he had the tyre offset and it seems that by just sitting there he was having to drive much harder than we thought and mm-hmm. and as you say he pit when I mean, he pit lap 28 the same was as lando and and norris was on the softs you know so he got no advantage out of his tyres at all which mm-hmm. is just uh, a bit painful from a red bull perspective i think <laughs> but um but yeah that that was i think that also was what was impressive with science extending so long on the soft and then having the pace and the uh, ability to, to pick, get out ahead of Gasly again mm. and, and retain that position.
0: Disappointing, of course, that Gasly couldn't rise to the top six, but to be fair to him, Bottas in a what was the faster car, as we learned by the end of the race, couldn't rise too much either. Of course, he did have that disadvantage in lap five to fall all the way to the back, so he essentially started the race, let's say, five laps later because his race was kind of decided by a driver on a similar strategy, fundamentally the same strategy were it not for those first five laps, and that was Daniel Ricciardo who started at the back as well after a horror qualifying and then a a penalty for changing his power unit or parts of the power unit afterwards. Uh, He started on the hard tyre because he was out of position, perhaps not as out of position as he was used to when he was driving a Red Bull that had simply had an engine penalty last season or in seasons past. Uh, And Bottas had great difficulty passing that Renault car, It might have been some residual damage on the Mercedes. The front wing damage was certainly rectified, but it did, of course, speak, of course, to how hard it was to to pass on this circuit. But I thought it was very interesting that that's something perhaps Mercedes didn't count on, that he couldn't rise through the midfield in the way we're normally used to seeing those top six cars do.
1: Yeah, and I think Mercedes were probably expecting the softs to go off a lot more quickly and and Mm. that you'd have had... When they made the call to pit Valtteri, I think they thought, right, get out there, get going quickly, and if we can get onto the back of the midfield, Mm. everyone pits and drops behind us, and, and instead of being... Last and then after the pit stops, still basically last and having to fight through on track, mm-hmm. they. I, I imagine they were expecting to make up six or seven places there, and and then he'd be straight into the points battle. But um, I think just the longevity of the softs that was unexpected. Um, the longest stint on the soft was thirty three laps that Olkenberg yeah. did. So that's I mean basically half the race, and the softest tire really shouldn't be doing half the race. <laughs> yep. um, so I, th- I think that then showed that. Um, Bottas had to do it all on track and as you say it's hard to overtake we talked about Lewis having his brake issues Mm -hmm. I'm sure Valtteri didn't have a car that was particularly great in traffic either Um, the Mercedes has been a little bit like that in in the past when when you're used to running up front you run a car that you expect to run up front so um, once you hit traffic you can have trouble Uh, but I, I think it was also, we didn't know what we were going to get. The longest stint on the hards was 53 laps that Giovinazzi did. Mm-hmm. So it was unrealistic to think Bottas was going to make it to the end. But because we didn't have the Friday running, we didn't know. And, and I saw that they put on the hards and thought, right, well, he's, he's one-stopped and he's going to the end. And he's going to have to hope that he's got mm-hmm. enough life to make it to the end. But you'd imagine then, as everyone pits and has trouble with tyres, he'd at least climb up to towards that top six. So um, it's... You can't really blame a driver too much when they've, when they've had a damaged car and they put so far out of position. In a race where mm-hmm. there was one retirement as well, on yeah. a circuit it's hard to overtake. You, you expect the fastest car to climb through, but this was one of the, the venues that it was going to be hardest to do.
0: Mm-hmm. He was behind Norris actually before he made that uh, lap 46 stop for medium tyres, echoing Hamilton's strategy. ended up making up that extra plate, so he finished 8th instead of ninth. Consolation, I guess, for Valtteri Bottas
1: and and McLaren were a bit disappointed actually because obviously they'd had the Norris slow stop, so mm-hmm. they were disappointed with that because it dropped him behind both Gasly and Raikkonen when they felt they'd have stayed ahead of Gasly, like mm. just you know straight straight fight in the pit lane they'd have got him, um, and Raikkonen didn't have the pace with the with the overcut to to get him, so they were pretty confident that they'd have held position. Whether they both would have held Gasly off, they weren't too sure but then with Bottas coming back through apparently they were confident that Norris had the ability to hold him off mm-hmm. uh, and, and he had I think for a few laps before Bottas made that other stop as well uh, but, but Norris made a mistake I think it was at the final corner mm-hmm. um, he had a lock up or th- there, was, there was a specific moment that McLaren referenced where they said and that allowed Valtteri to get a run on him and get him so uh, I, I think McLaren felt I mean it's a quick car and a straight line as well the McLaren yep. so I think they felt that they had the, uh, the potential to disrupt Bottas's day even more
0: So Norris ended up ninth ahead of Alex Albon in 10th and that was the way the midfield panned out for I think quite an interesting Hungarian Grand Prix. It's nice to go into the break with four good races that's been fun to talk about even though the championship's very much been put to bed in the same time frame incredibly. (laughs) Uh, And Formula 1 can be a little bit optimistic I guess as we embark on the last nine races of the season.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an exciting second half. We seem to have it fairly often in recent years where Mm. Red Bull come back into the picture, Ferrari maybe close enough and you do have certain races there are all three teams battling it out mm-hmm. that was what was great here was you had two teams battling it out even if the one was quicker uh, but the way that the season seemed to go Mercedes just hit the ground running get it done and then and then we get the fun without <laughs> the actual drama of yeah there's a championship at stake here but uh, it's still making some great racing and like you say the last four have been awesome to watch mm-hmm. um, at e- the midfield fights weren't epics uh, this weekend but when you've got a race like that at the front it kind of overshadows it so we've had all sorts of different types of races over the last Mm. four and they've been great Uh, so I think we've got plenty more of that to look forward to.
0: That was Chris Medland from racer.com The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favourite podcasting app, plus all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the Hungarian Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcasting app of choice to hear Rob James and I ask whether Formula One could learn a thing or two from Australia's Big Bash League. My name's Michael Amanato, look me up at Michael Amanato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in September when Formula One resumes with the Belgian Grand Prix.